If you have your Bibles, turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible, you can turn to the inside cover of your bulletin, or the back cover, I'm sorry, the inside back cover of your bulletin. Um, we're just going to be looking at verses 16 and 17 today, but we're going to start the reading in verse 12 so that we can get the context. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Friends, listen. This is God's Word. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, being uh, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is God's Word. So we all face persecution in our lives. Okay, it doesn't look like the kind of persecution that we were just praying about, but it is real in our experience. And this is the definition of persecution uh, that we've been using in our series. Persecution is pressure to turn down the volume on Jesus. Okay, it's pressures to turn down the volume on Jesus in our lives. So when people intimidate you, punish you, ostracize you, or harm you, so that you would tone down Jesus in your life, so that you would stop talking about Him, or even disobey Him, or deny Him. Right? That's what persecution is for us. And we've been talking about how important it is to be prepared for persecution. That's what Paul is doing for Timothy. He's preparing Timothy for persecution. And what we've seen so far in terms of how do we prepare, this is what we've seen. We need, number one, a discipleship community. Right? Verses 10 and 11. We need to talk with others about how to respond. Um, we need to see the example of others so that we'll be able to know and have the strength to respond the right way. Second, we need a personal testimony. We need an experience and a relationship with God. This is verse 14. And when we saw, when we looked at that, that our past and our present experience of God gives us assurance that He will be with us in the future. And then third, um, we need God's Word. We need a lifelong relationship with the Bible that's full of both highs and lows. We saw that last week. Um, now, verses 16 and 17 are going to go deeper into this third area of God's Word. Um, it's our relationship with the Bible. And this is what we're going to see today. So if you want to take notes, this is the first blank. You're going to have to make a little editing mark there. But what we're going to see today is you need to focus on you and the Bible before the persecution. Okay? So focus on you and the Bible before the persecution. Okay, before you respond to persecution, you want to become. Okay, the Bible gives you strength. It gives you confidence. It can give you hope to face anything that comes at you. And if you're prepared, it doesn't matter what comes at you in life. It doesn't matter what you face at work, at home, with friends, or with enemies. And we're going to see three reasons today why you should focus on the Bible. 
So our first point, the reason you focus on the Bible is because the Bible, number one, is God's breath. The Bible is God's breath. This is verse 16. It says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's breathed out by God. Now, some translations say all Scripture is inspired by God. And that can be helpful. Um, the, the church has talked about the inspiration of the Bible, uh, meaning some things. But I think this is actually a more helpful translation. Um, I think it's even better, this idea of being breathed out by God. Because this verse isn't saying that the authors of the Bible felt inspired and so they wrote. Right? It's not saying that they got excited and so that they wrote. But it's actually saying, this verse is saying that the Bible is literally God's breath. Okay, the words breathed out by God mean God's breath. God's breath is His words coming out of His mouth. Right? And if you want to really experience what this verse is trying to say, then I want to invite you to take your hand okay, and put it in front, of your, in front of your mouth. And I want you to whisper, I had dinner yesterday. Just trying to think of something we could all say, right? Just whisper that to yourself. I had dinner yesterday. I had dinner yesterday. Right? You see that? You can't speak without air coming out of your mouth, without breath coming out of your mouth. And so when Paul says here, all Scripture is breathed out by God, what he's saying here is that when you read the Bible, what you are reading is literally the words of God. This is the word that comes out of the mouth of God. Okay, this book, the Bible, okay, this is the covenant, right? This is the covenant document that God makes with his people, okay? There are, um, and, and these are the terms, like the Bible, this is the term, these are the terms so that we can know God and we can know how to walk with him. Now, I know that some of you are maybe asking the question, wait, hold on a second. If you say that this is literally breathed out by God, I thought that it was written by human beings, right? I thought, aren't we reading this letter from Paul to Timothy, like, how does that work? Well, the Bible talks about this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, it says this. This is Peter writing now. He says, Our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. So we can just stop there for just a sec. Have you ever like, had trouble reading the Bible? So did Peter. Okay? If you ever have trouble understanding Paul and what he writes in some of his letters, like you're with the Apostle Peter. He, he, Peter would be like, hey, me too. I'm with you. I understand. In fact, I'm with you because I don't understand, just like you don't understand sometimes. So that's good news, right? There's some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Look at this. As they do the other scriptures. So what Peter is doing here is he's talking about the Scriptures and he's including Paul's writings in the Scriptures. Okay? And so Peter thinks, Peter says that Paul's writings are on par. They're actually also Scripture. And so they're part of the sacred writings. So we have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament and a lot more can be said about that. But, um, but in terms of the issue of it being written by human beings, right? let's talk about that because Peter also says that he addresses that. He says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, and so what happens here is that the people who wrote Scripture, they were actually indwelt in a special way by the Holy Spirit, and they were carried along 
by the Holy Spirit so that what they wrote was literally the breath of God. They wrote what God would have, or what God did want written. And so this is why the Bible is sacred. Right? We talk about the sacred writings in verse 15. In no other place, in no other place did God's Spirit carry people to literally breathe out His words. Right? The letters in the Bible, the poetry in the Bible, the history in the Bible, the predictions in the Bible, all of these are the breath of God breathing life and creativity and correction into the world so that the world can flourish. And these verses in 2 Peter 1, here in 2 Timothy 3.16, these are clear statements of the Bible on what the Bible is. Now I know this can be striking for some. Some people read this and go, oh man, okay, I get it now. Other people think, wait a minute, hold on, I'm not ready to embrace this. Some people have an objection because they think, well, how can I trust the Bible that it's God's word if I haven't read everything in it? Right? Uh, and so they want to do more exploration. They want to make sure they read it before so they can judge whether or not it really is the Bible. And then there's other people who say, well, hold on a minute. No, no, no. I have read it, and that's why I don't want to trust the Bible is written by God. Because if it was really written by God, then why would it say these things? And I think it's important for us as a church family to recognize that it can take time for people to embrace the Bible as God's Word. It can take time for people to learn to trust it, to be able to devote their life or build their life around it. I think the key for getting to that place of trust, the key to getting to a place where you can trust that the Bible is God's word, is to know the big picture message of the Bible. You have to understand that first and foremost, the Bible is a document that presents good news. That's what the word gospel means. Right? The gospel is the good news, and that's the main thread of the Bible story from beginning to end. And we can sum up the Bible story in four words, right? Remember this from last week? Right? These four words, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. These four words tell the story of the Bible. This is the main message. This is why the Bible was written. Right? Think about this, creation. Right? God made a world full of beauty and celebration. A world that is full of satisfying work and rest. Right? With meaningful relationships and community. That's how God built the world. Problem is that we have vandalized God's world. We brought sin in, and in our sin and our selfishness and our pride, it harms others, it harms ourselves, it brings evil. And the world that God built, the beautiful world, becomes disintegrated. Right? Disintegrated. This is the fall. But then the redemption. Redemption is that the God, the God who speaks from heaven. The God who speaks his word into our world actually came from heaven into our world. The word became flesh and dwelt among us to bring salvation and healing and renewal and freedom. And then restoration. That Jesus came, he brought a taste of life the way God intended. He gives us that taste and there's more to come. There's more to come. Jesus will one day completely restore the world so that it will be even better than the way that God made it in the beginning. And so, if you struggle to understand the Bible, or if you struggle to trust the Bible, again, the key is to read it, understanding that this is its big picture. Everything in the Bible, the good stuff, the glorious stuff, the stuff that makes you kind of afraid, the stuff that seems kind of gruesome, the stuff that makes you think, man, this can't be God, like all of that 
um, is in some ways an explanation of one or more of these ideas of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. And the key, though, is to read the Bible with this in mind, but it's also, it's key for you to read the Bible with someone else who understands that this is the main message of the Bible. Right? Most of the examples, even in the Bible, um, are not of people who can read it on their own and figure it out. Most people need help. Most people need someone who's been before them, someone who actually understands the gospel, who can help them see how all these things fit into the big picture of what God does. And so the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so there's an invitation for all of us. So if you struggle to trust the Bible, I would encourage you, I would encourage you to get with someone who understands it, someone who knows the good news, and read it with them in community. And so, the Bible is God's breath. Um, Second, the verse goes on to describe God's power. It says, the Bible is profitable to make you wise. The Bible is profitable to make you wise. This is the second point. I I really love this phrase in verse 16. It says, the the two-word phrase, and profitable. And profitable. Paul has just said that the Bible is God speaking into the world. Right? The Bible is God's message. The Bible is God's presence even into the world. And not just into the world, but into your life. The Bible is God speaking into your life. And it's profitable? Like you, it's kind of a weird word, isn't it? Profitable. Is that the word that you would go to if the God of the universe were going to speak a message into your life? Would you say, oh yeah, and it's profitable? Not really the word that I would use. This is like the most unbelievable understatement in history. Right? Heck yeah, it's profitable. Are you kidding me? Of course it's profitable. This is God speaking into your life. And it's profitable for you. It's profitable. And, and, why, and the reason it's profitable is because it makes you wise. Okay? Hear me. This is so important. The Bible does not make you a parrot. Okay? P-A-R-R-O-T. The bird who can repeat what it hears. Right? The Bible doesn't make you a parrot. It doesn't make you a robot. It doesn't make you unthinking. The Bible, God's Word, makes you wise. Okay? It makes you wise. It produces in you the multi-layered, richly textured life that we described last week. See if I can illustrate the difference um, that the Bible makes. Okay? These are the primary colors. Right? You've got red, yellow, and blue. Simple, it's basic. Here's what happens when you mix the primary colors together. Right? You get orange, you get purple, and you get green. Right? It's a little more complicated. Now, I want to show you something that's a little bit more complicated than this. These are two kinds of red. Right? Got on the left, you have the red that's the primary color of red. This other kind of red is actually a work of art by an artist named Mako Fujimura. And Mako is a world-famous impressionistic artist. Um, And this is a piece that he did called Water Flames. Water Flames. It's Mako's depiction of the Gospel of Mark that he was commissioned to do for the 400th anniversary of the King James Bible. Somebody commissioned, or a company commissioned Mako, and they produced a version of the Bible 
that had Mako's art bringing to life themes um, and ideas from the scriptures. And you can see when you know that it's called Water Flames, what Mako says is that this piece captures the way that the flames of God not only consume, but purify. Okay? I heard Mako describe the process that he went through to produce this piece. And he said that this piece, um, it's a huge, giant uh, canvas. It's made up of 70 layers. There are 70 layers to this piece. Okay, there are layers of gold. Because again, when Mako thinks about the flames of God, it does bring judgment, but it also purifies. And what comes through the flame is the gold of the righteousness of Christ, His work for us and in us and through us. Right? He said this piece is 70 layers, and he said the layers are so important because they create a refractive, prismatic reality that the eye can enjoy. 70 layers. I mean, in some ways, I feel like it's almost blasphemous to put this on a PowerPoint slide because <laughs> we can't appreciate it, right? It's not like standing in front of it where you actually see the richly textured, multi-layered work of art that this is. But the point I want to make is that Mako's art is so much wiser than simply red. Okay? And this is what the Bible produces in the lives of God's people. This is what the Bible is designed to produce in your life. It's not trying to make you a parrot. It's not trying to make you unthinking or a robot. The Bible wants to make you this kind of a multi-layered, richly textured work of art. Now, how does it do that? Well, this verse tells us, the rest of verse 16 tells us how it does this. It gives us four things that the Bible is profitable for. And what's amazing is that these four things actually line up with the four-word summary of the main message of the Bible. Let me show you what I mean. It says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Right? It's profitable for teaching. What does teaching do? Well, teaching gives us new ideas. Teaching gives us new concepts. It gives us a vision. Teaching brings beauty. It's, it's creation. Right? That through the Bible, God creates in us an understanding of Himself, an understanding of ourselves, an understanding of the world and other people. Right? Teaching brings forth the best of creation. Right? But not just teaching, also reproof. Right? Reproof um, is warning. It's confronting. Right? It's exposing sin. It's exposing things. It's talking against things that are wrong. And so reproof highlights the fall. Right? That the Bible comes alongside the brokenness of the world and it reproves it. It warns against it. Um, and then correction. Right? Correction. This is leading back. Right? This is returning to the path. Right? Correcting is, you know, if, if teaching is helping us understand that there is this path and this life, this beautiful, multi-layered, richly textured life that God has for us. Right? And the fall is that we walk away from this life. We walk away from God. Correction is leading us back. 
right? Correction gets us back on the path. And so this is redemption. This is redemption. This is God's work to bring us back, to save us from our sins and bring us back into his family. And then fourth, the Bible is profitable for training in righteousness. Right? Training in righteousness. And so the Bible is designed to train us so that we can practice in righteousness. Right? So that we can practice that forever life that is coming. Right? There is coming a day when you will be completely without sin. Where Jesus will remove all the presence of sin, all the power of sin from your life. Right? There's coming a day when you will walk perfectly. And the Bible says that the beginning of our restoration happens now. That when we trust Jesus, he puts his spirit in us and we begin to live that forever life now. And so the Bible trains us to stay on this path, to live in the fullness of God's presence, to understand what real meaningful work is, to understand what true community looks like. Right? And so the Bible teaches us how to walk and to practice this forever life today. And so these four words that match up with the four layers that God wants to build into you, this is what gives us this richly textured wise life that ends up being a blessing for others. If we just go into black and white, right? Let's leave the colors for a second. What this means is that black and white become gray. Okay, when you add the layers of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration to the truth of God's word, black and white becomes gray. Okay? Not because truth isn't truth. Okay? But because when truth is applied, the application of truth is layered with wisdom. Okay? The Bible says things but then when you apply what the Bible says, you want to add to truth, you want to add to that truth, grace, love, understanding. Right? You still speak the truth. You still stand up for the truth, but you speak the truth in love. It's truth with grace. And so truth and, lay, uh, and, and grace, they're layers, they're textures that help us to understand other people that help us to know how to communicate, when to communicate, when not to communicate. And what Paul is saying here is that the Bible is designed to give us these textures, to give us these shades. Let me just give you one example so that you can understand how to think about this. Um, so the Bible has a lot to say about sex and about marriage, right? Okay? The Bible um, talks a lot about sex and marriage. And isn't it interesting, though, that this book, right, this book that sets the standard so high for sex and marriage is so full of examples of people that aren't anywhere close to the standard that it sets. Are you with me? Right? Can you think of one marriage in the Bible that follows God's design? Someone in the back, shout it out. Well, that's not a marriage. You said Christ in the church. That's, that's what marriage is supposed to picture. <laughs> marriage is supposed to picture that reality of Christ in the church. You think of one marriage in the Bible that actually lives up to God's standard. 
Ruth and Boaz, good, there's one. Mary and Joseph, good. It's another one. Oh, look, say Abraham. Let's think about it. So we got Abraham and Sarah. And Hagar. And, uh-oh, wait, hold on. That's not a good one. Shoot. Oh, wait, I know, I know. It's, it's Jacob and Rachel, right? Remember that story? Jacob, oh, he, he had to serve seven years for Rachel. And it says it was as though it was like a few days because of his great love for her. Oh, he served her for seven years. And he ends up with Leah. Right, it's Jacob and Rachel and Leah and Bilhah. Who's Bilhah? Right? And then, right, we're now... So no, they're on the other side, right? And then you have David and Bathsheba. Oh, wait, never mind. Well, Abigail and... Well, hold on, never mind. Um, I mean, and then you have Solomon and Anne and... Amanda and I'm trying to go through the alphabet, <laughs> right? And 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 Solomon 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 and Solomon. You get the point? Three hundred wives, seven hundred concubines. Man, do I need to go on? So what's the deal here? How can the Bible have such a high standard for sex and marriage and so many? Awful examples of people who couldn't get it right. What's the deal? What is the deal? What does this mean? Does this mean? Does this mean that we shouldn't share the truth of what God says in the Bible about marriage? No, of course not. Here's what it means it means that God delivers truth to people. And more than that, that God loves people who struggle to follow his truth. Are you with me? God loves people and is patient with people and understands people who struggle to follow His truth. Do you feel the layers here? Do you feel how important it is to not just understand God's creative intent with marriage, but to understand the fall? Like, How much does it make a difference in our lives when we're trying to love people that we need to be aware of the fall. We need to understand that, yes, God had this amazing design, and it would be so much better for all of us if we followed it. And yet, how are you doing following it? Right? How am I doing following it? And again, this doesn't mean that we don't share the truth. But man, it changes the way that we share the truth, doesn't it? I mean, it's the difference between red and Mako Fujimura. Right? Sometimes there are 70 layers that are behind what someone else thinks about sex and marriage. Think about that. Sometimes there are 70 layers underneath why people trust the Bible or don't trust the Bible. And what the Bible is designed to do, the Bible is designed to give you an acquaintance of those layers so that you can truly understand where people are and you can care for them so that when you share with them the truth, you do it with grace and love. And this takes wisdom. Right? This takes incredible wisdom because don't you want to be these kind of layered people? Don't you want to know when you're supposed to say something and when you're not? And when you are supposed to say something, how you're supposed to say it? 
And if you're not supposed to say something, how do you live in a way that can prompt someone to ask or that can engender a conversation? It's as we read the Bible, as we practice the Bible, as we spend time talking about the Bible in community, that's how we deepen our layers. That's how we become layered people. Uh, and this is, what, this is what the world needs. This is what our church needs. Like we need to be these people for each other, right? First, we need to be a community of layered people that aren't freaked out and shocked by the layers in the lives of other people because we understand our own layers. We understand our own history. We understand what we've been through. But when we do this, when we are devoted to the scriptures and we become wise, um, this is what the Bible says happens. Our third point is that the Bible makes us complete and equipped. Complete and equipped. So the word complete, that doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle. But it means that you are mature. It means that you have reached a level of maturity. Okay? That you can live a layered life and approach others with layers. It means that you have what you need to be able to respond to others in any situation. How about that? How would you like to be someone who doesn't know what you're supposed to say in every situation, but knows that in any situation, because you understand these layers, you know how to respond. You may not say the perfect thing, but your presence will be something that reflects the multi-layered response of God and His truth and His patience, His understanding. He knows exactly why we do everything. He understands what's behind every action, every act, every word. And as we spend time with Him, with the words that He breathes out, we become like Him. So complete and then equipped. Equipped because you have what it takes. And you can run through what is the truth of this situation and then what are the layers involved here? What's going on in this person's life? What's going on in these people's lives that cause them to act the way they do? And if I can understand that, it might not change what I say, but it'll change how I say it. And it's amazing because this is, um, it, it, it's these people, these layered people that are complete and equipped because they have been taught and they have been reproved. They have been corrected. And they have been trained. Has the Bible done that for you yet? Has it taught you? Have you learned from the Scriptures? I think sometimes, like understanding that we need to be reproved by the Bible is a big deal. Right? That we would be humbled by the fact that we don't know everything. Right? That we'd be humbled because in our own life there have been things that we have done things that we continue to do that aren't pleasing to God. When we have been reproved, that humbles us and enables us to understand others. Right? Have you been corrected by Jesus? 
Do you have a Christianity where as long as Jesus says what you think is right, you're willing to follow him? I mean, that's a subtlety that can creep into our faith. Right? That I know better, I know what the truth is, and if the Bible doesn't agree with me, then it must be wrong. That part must not be breathed out by God. Have you been corrected, led by Jesus? And have you been trained? Like, are you growing and, and maturely putting the righteousness that's revealed in the Scriptures into practice in your life? And I just, I want to encourage you, the way that this happens is by giving yourself to God's Word. Devote yourself to God's Word. We have a tool that we use, City Bible Reading. Um, we have communities that look at City Bible Reading regularly so that you can do this with other people. Man, I would, I just, I would hope and pray that these verses, that God, who, the God who breathed these verses into the Scriptures would breathe a desire into you to say yes to the Bible. To say, yes, I want to understand this. I want to go deeper. God, I want to know more of who you are. I want to understand how these four layers can help me wrap my mind around all that's in the Bible. Would you commit to the Scriptures and then commit to community? Don't do it on your own. You can't. You can't. I can't. I've been doing this for a long, long time, and I can tell you that one of the things that has characterized my own relationship with the Bible is that I have always kept people in my life who know more than I do and can continue to teach me things that I don't know. It's all of us. We all need to be doing this in community. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for blessing the world with a book that is your breath on earth. Truly, these are sacred writings. Truly, Jesus, that in these writings, your glory is displayed. The beauty of your intention, the, the perfect standard of your laws, it records your reaction to our fall from you, are ignoring you, are running from you. Thank you for coming to find us and for rescuing us from ourselves. Jesus, would you draw near to each one of us today and would you speak to us so that our lives would become a work of art? Would you help us to commit to this book and help us to do it in community so that we're not alone? Jesus, we confess that none of us can do this on our own. We need you to teach us, and we need others uh, to help us to be able to walk and understand who you are. And so let today be a new beginning for so many that are here. And we pray that you would meet us this week as we devote ourselves to your word. We pray this in your name. Amen.